Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen also was sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, Let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Wanda. A terrible storm came into a town and local officials sent out an emergency warning that the riverbanks were expected to overflow and um, flood the nearby homes. They ordered everyone in the town to evacuate. A faithful Christian man heard the warning and decided to stay. He said to himself, I will trust God if I'm in danger and God will save me. Their neighbor, his neighbors came by in their car and they said, we have an extra space for you. Why don't you join us and let's get out of here. And the man said to them, I have faith that God will save me. And then he moved to his porch and he saw the waters rising and he sees a canoe starting to go by him. And the man in the canoe says, hey, I got an extra seat. Why don't you join me? And the man said to the man in the canoe, no thanks, God will save me. Flood waters are rising again. And so he gets into his second floor and he looks out and he sees a police motorboat again going by him and inside the policeman says hey we got room come and join us let me get you out of here and the man said no thanks god will save me get somebody else that maybe need your help more than i do 
You know what happens, don't you? The floodwaters rise and rise, and he's on top of his roof, and he sees the helicopter with one of those ladders lowered down, and there's a rescue person on that ladder, and he's saying, come here, stick out your hand, I'll help you. And the man said, no thank you, God will save me. Shortly after, the house broke up, and it went into the floodwaters, and the man drowned. Great story, right? But uh, let me keep going. But when in heaven, the man said to God, I put all of my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? And God said, son, I sent you a warning. I sent you a car. I sent you a canoe. I sent you a motorboat. And I sent you a helicopter. What were you looking for? Okay, I know that you know this, this old sermon illustration. It's an oldie but goodie, but I retell it because it gets to the core of the story that Wanda read for us this morning about Nehemiah. When we're in relationship with God, seeking God's word through prayer and fasting in the hopes of God guiding our steps, we won't get anywhere if we don't play our part in the narrative. Before we dive in, let us pray together. O oh Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself, Lord Jesus. Amen. I was a history major in college, and so I have great appreciation for the history of the Bible and how it all ties together. So please indulge me as I do a little recap of what's going on before we dive into Nehemiah. So if you remember way back in the 6th century BC, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and he ordered all the Israelites to leave Jerusalem and move to Babylon and that was the exile. That story is told in the book of Daniel. Later, King Cyrus allows the Jews to return to the city and rebuild it. And the book of Nehemiah takes place in the 5th century BC during the reign of Artaxerxes in the city of Susa, which is one of the major power sites of Persia. As we learned last week, Nehemiah was a Jew who had a position of great authority in the king's court. He was the cupbearer, and he also guarded the royal chambers. His job was to taste the wine to make sure it was safe from poison. Now, this gave Nehemiah great access to the king, and it also gave him an opportunity to have some influence as well. There are lots of interactions, a lot of intimacy going on there. And last week, as we learned from Dr. Hilton in chapter 1, Nehemiah has concerns that have been brought to him by his friends, and he's greatly grieved over the state of Jerusalem and the people who live there. And so he decides to start praying and fasting to God on behalf of those Israelites and the state of their city. Nehemiah wanted God to grant him favor before the king, the only one who had authority and financial backing to rebuild Jerusalem. Now the, today the passage starts four months later. They're all in the king's banquet hall, and Nehemiah is carrying out his duties. And he is still greatly grieved by the situation in Jerusalem, and that shows on his face. 
The king presses Nehemiah to tell him what's going on, and Nehemiah admits that he feels great pain over the sorry state of the city of his ancestors. Now this free exchange shows great courage on Nehemiah's part for several reasons. One, it doesn't take too much to be banished if the king is unhappy with you. And so servants had to make sure that they always had pleasant looks on their faces. They wouldn't show anything that they felt underneath. And two, despite having a close relationship with the king, it's never a good idea to presume that you have a more intimate connection than you really do. He's Nehemiah is the servant, and King Artaxerxes, he's the king. Yet Nehemiah was vulnerable and honest about the reason for his grief, and so he told the king the truth when he asked. Finally, it wouldn't take much for the king to presume or think that perhaps Nehemiah was treasonous, because Nehemiah was asking for a city to be rebuilt, and it wasn't Susa, it was Jerusalem. And so there were a lot of reasons that Nehemiah had to be fearful, but he didn't allow those feelings to hold him back from bringing his request before the king. With boldness, Nehemiah outlined his request. He asked for time away from the court to be able to rebuild Jerusalem, and he had a well-reasoned response to how long he thought that project would take and when he thought he would be able to return back to the king and the court. Nehemiah also asked for letters of introductions to make sure that he had safe passage through the provinces. He also was bold enough to ask for materials, lumber, to rebuild the walls. And he also asked for a place to stay in Jerusalem. Because Nehemiah spent those four months in prayer and fasting in relationship and dialogue with God, he was ready to act, and he did. I find it amazing that God places Nehemiah in the court at that specific time with direct access to the king who had affection for Nehemiah. It appears the queen did as well. And God put a passion inside Nehemiah's heart for the city of Jerusalem. And he put the desire to see the Israelites have a better situation than what they were undergoing right then. And it reminded me of the Queen Esther story. God placed Queen Esther in King Xerxes' court. That's Artaxerxes' father. So he places Queen Esther in the court. The king has favor for Queen Esther. And she had influence to be able to change the death sentence that had pronounced upon her people, the Israelites. God will place us and use us for good, just like God used Nehemiah and Esther for just such a time. So where has God placed you? Some of you have jobs of influence and you mix with people in power. God has placed you there for a reason. Some of you are in places that appear to have no influence. 
Some of you also might feel a little beaten down and you just don't have reserves to be influential for anyone as well. But take heart, all of us have more influence than we think. Because all of us are being guided and directed by God, the one with ultimate influence. So what has God put into your heart? What desire is there and what is God calling you into? God calls us to show love and mercy no matter where we are. Several years ago, I was working at the Falls Church Anglican and a woman came to the church offices sobbing. She had just found out that her husband planned to leave her and that their marriage of many years was over. She was devastated. Later, she found out that her husband wasn't going to do anything to repair the marriage. He was out. So the woman decided to get to work on herself. She joined a divorce ministry at another church, and she found healing. Then she came back to the Falls Church, and she challenged the priests to start a ministry for divorced people. As some of you, most of you know, I think I've been pretty honest about this, I have been through a divorce myself. And I had been through that same divorce care ministry. And I was on staff at just such a time when the priest decided, yes, this would be a good idea for our church to offer this ministry. God placed me there in the exact spot at the right time so that I would be able to take up that mantle and begin divorce care. So we started in the fall of 2018. And by 2020, I had a crackerjack group of volunteers to help me, and we had a really robust and successful divorce ministry. So we were perfectly poised to take that ministry online when COVID hit. We ran five consecutive 13-week sessions for two years because the need in the community was so dire. It wasn't the false church, it was across the DMV. I had a police officer from, from DC attend. I had someone way down in Virginia attend. I had someone across the country attend because it was all online. That was a huge blessing to so many people and all because God planted the desire for a divorce ministry to those ne help, needing help navigating in that dear woman's heart. She listened, she took action, and God changed lives. While God may place a desire in our heart for something to come about to bless God's kingdom, we also need to act. And that next step, I think, can sometimes be fraught. I think as humans, we have a tendency to maybe just do what we think is best, right? As Christians, we know that we should be turning to God, but as humans, we think that we have all the answers, that we know how things were going to roll out, and that the way our, we decide to solve the issue would be the way to go. So we don't necessarily invite God into the process or ask God for any wisdom, discernment, or guidance. We presume that we know best, 
and we don't really even want to hear what God's thoughts are on the matter. But in this scenario, as Christians, we aren't developing a deep-rooted relationship with God. We're just following our own whims and desires. And I did that a lot when I was younger. In fact, I left a job where I was really unhappy, and I never asked God if that was the best solution to my problem. And boy, let me tell you, I reaped the consequences of that rash decision by landing in a church that was highly dysfunctional, which I knew was problematic even before I walked in the doors and said yes, because I felt anxious and desperate to have a job. I didn't pray, I didn't plan with God, or trust him. I just intuited what I thought was best, and it really wasn't so great. I think this next scenario of how we make decisions to do things is more in line with us who are seeking God's guidance. We might be like the man from that opening illustration where we do turn to God and we do ask for help and we do trust that God's going to do something, but we have a, a desire to let God do it all and that we don't have any responsibility to act. Just this last week, I had a conversation with a friend and she's wrestling with some big issues, and she's really not sure what to do. And she confided me in me that she just wants God to drop the solution into her lap. That's the easiest way, isn't it? And I think we really resonate with her. We do sometimes want God to just drop the solution into our lap. Sometimes God does do that, but more often, we're called to wait. We're called to wait just like Nehemiah. Things won't come about if we hand over all responsibility to God because God is inviting us to be a partner with him, to grow more connected to him, to gain more confidence in him, and to work with God to roll out the best solutions. If we're just waiting for God to do it all, we miss out on all that part. We miss out on the growth that happens when we're walking very closely to God as we seek our next steps. The third way is what Nehemiah did. To have the attitude that prayer is the first step, the preparation for us to act. In this scenario, we listen and we have courage to step out in faith with boldness when the time comes. Nehemiah had given this matter four months of prayer and fasting and thought. He was ready to respond to the king's questions with everything that he needed to find success. He and God figured out that he needed to have some time off. They needed to know how long to expect that he needed letters of introduction to get to Jerusalem safely. He needed materials to rebuild the city walls. And God was working with Nehemiah during those four months so that Nehemiah's bold ask would be well received by the king. And the results of that partnership between God and Nehemiah would find success. It takes courage to live like this, though. 
It's really scary to give up control to God. Some of us kind of prefer to just sort of lean into what we think, maybe, rather than lean into God. So we skip that conferring step, and we just go on to do what we think is best. But other times we do bring our concern to God and ask for guidance, but the answer seems to take too long, and so somehow we get discouraged, and we think that God isn't going to do anything. That's when that anxiety starts stirring up within our soul, and we feel like we got to act. But that isn't the best way forward. While it takes courage to give control to God, it also takes courage to know when to act. Nehemiah waited four months before he realized the time to make was his request was before him. Four months of daily having this interaction with the king, sipping the wine, connecting with the king and the queen. Four months sorting out with God what the real needs were. Four months of figuring out what exactly to look for in the king's attitude and how to respond with um, just the right touch, the right tone, so that the king would be receptive. And then if you look in verse 4, Nehemiah gives one final test before he blurts out the answer. Nehemiah says, I prayed to the God in heaven. That's one of those arrow prayers. Like, he is just confirming with God that this is the moment, that this is the time to, to press ahead with his request. Because Nehemiah was spending all this time with God, he was able to hear God's still small voice encouraging him that now is the time to act. Now's the time to take that step. And Nehemiah was rewarded for his trust and reliance on God. Some of you may wonder how you can tell when the time has come for you to step into action after you've prayed. I don't have a formula. I don't know what to tell you. Because those moments are really up to God and you. God's drawing you into something with God, and that's a very personal, intimate experience. But I can tell you that you will know deep in your spirit when God presents the time for you to act on your prayer. God will give you a nudge, just as he gave Nehemiah the motivation to speak up. The more you learn to wait on God and follow God's guidance, the easier it will be for you to discern when to take that step out in faith. It's a muscle that needs to develop and strengthen and that comes with a lot of practice. Spend time with God in prayer. Ask God for guidance on how to put your prayers to, into action, and God will give you everything you need. God loves us and wants us to grow deeply in relationship with him and grow closer to him. God wants us to rely on God for everything that we need. And God puts desires into our hearts to build God's kingdom here on earth. God wants us to seek his guidance, and the way that we do that is through our rich prayer life. We bring our pains and our sorrows, our questions and our concerns, and offer them up to God. 
God then gives us the wisdom and discernment to take our next steps. He builds depth into our relationship and in, with him and through that interaction of prayer and waiting, then God gives us everything that we need to take that first step. I love the closing verse of this passage. It's on the front of your bulletin this morning. And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. God put the desire of a restored Jerusalem, a restored people, on Nehemiah's heart. He sought God's guidance and God, through his great mercy, Nehemiah's courage and Artaxerxes' actions, Nehemiah received all that he desired. Nehemiah felt God's gracious hand upon him, and all of this blessing was due to God. God puts desires on our hearts so that God can call them forth. And I think this quote for the upper room this past March captures this concept. The author writes, the big dreams in my heart do indeed come from God. Dreams to live boldly and joyfully, even when it feels uncomfortable. Dreams to keep trying and keep growing, even when it's exhausting. Dreams to fulfill God's grand calling, even when it seems impossible. Isn't that beautiful? That was Nehemiah's experience, and it can be yours as well. So seek God through prayer. Step out in faith with courage and be bold to do what God calls you to do. When we put our prayer in action, our lives will be transformed by the beauty of God's gracious hand upon us. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah, a servant who loved you, who responded to you, who sought you, and courageously stepped out in faith to change the situation in Jerusalem. May we be so like Nehemiah that we hear your still small voice, respond to you in prayer, and carry out the blessings that this world needs. We offer this through your son, Jesus. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.